Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. I came to faith as a teenager having never read through the Bible. And so it was a really scary moment, three or four weeks after coming to faith in Christ, when I was in a Sunday school class, and the Sunday school teacher asked this question, which she expected everybody to answer, what is your favorite Bible verse? Now you might think, well, that's just silly. If I asked each and every one of you, I'm sure you'll be able to just give me one, or maybe you can't just pick one, maybe you can give me your top five. When you are a baby Christian, having never read the Bible in its entirety, in fact, the only time you spent in the Bible is just to race through it, to absorb as much as you can, you have no idea what your favorite Bible passage is. But see, I'm one of those people that when you ask me a question and I don't know the answer to that question, it drives me nuts until I have an answer to that question. So I got home from church that day and I grabbed my Bible and I just started reading through this section and reading through that book and reading through this psalm and reading through this, trying to in some way say what speaks to me in terms of something that I can identify with. Now, of course, the whole Bible is important, right? And I knew that even as a baby Christian. But when I get asked that question again, I want to know the answer. And I just so happened to jump into the book of Proverbs. And there's a lot of gold there, too, in Proverbs in terms of what people have even used as their favorite Bible passage. But I'm going to share mine with you. Uh, it is Proverbs 4-7, and it's not going to be up on the screen because I prefer an older version of the NIV's translation. And here's what it says. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. I'm say it again because it's just that good. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. And you're probably thinking the same thing that my Sunday school friends thought. Why that one? Certainly it should be something about Jesus. Certainly it should be something about our salvation. So why wisdom? Why this random passage from Proverbs? And I think that perhaps as a new Christian, something struck me. Um, perhaps two things struck me. The first is this, that not that long before that day, I had understood the depths of my sin, my depravity, my worthlessness, and yet God loved even me and valued me enough to send his own son to die in my place, to redeem me and reconcile me to God. And I was... So, so ashamed in that moment, so sorrowful for the way in which I lived my life and all the bad decisions I made before in light of this new reality that, wow, or this new realization that God exists and loves me. And not only that, but all of us have made decisions in our life that were not wise decisions. All of us have had to carry the responsibility, the consequences of decisions we've made, whatever they may be. And, and even at 16 years of age, there were those things in my life that I had done, relationships that I had hurt, uh, people I had hurt, things that I had done that I deeply regretted, and 
I wished I could take back, but I didn't. And this idea of wisdom <laughs> spoke to me. Because knowledge is understanding enough to know uh, things and you know what's right, what's wrong, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. Wisdom is taking that step and choosing the right over the bad. And that spoke to me. In fact, it spoke to me so much that Jenny gave me this for Christmas just a couple of years ago because it's still my favorite passage. So uh, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. So I want to talk about wisdom today. You heard our passage read earlier, so you know where we're going to be today. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3. So if you want to get a head start, feel free to flip over there and put your finger in it so that you're ready to go. Um, but here's the thing. It's not like we don't have this concept of wisdom or this idea of wisdom prior to coming to faith in Christ. It's not like the people who are not in church today because they don't know Jesus um, don't uh, understand or appreciate at least the concept of wisdom. But here's a difference between human wisdom and godly wisdom. There's a difference between perhaps the wisdom that it comes naturally to us because of the way in which we've lived, because we were living in a fallen world, and the wisdom that God calls us to. In fact, the Oxford Languages Dictionary defines wisdom this way. Again, not a biblical uh, resource, but a worldly resource, but it gives a good definition of wisdom, I think. And we're gonna call this the definition of human wisdom. The soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. And so we see that wisdom is the application, right? The good application, the right application, if you will, of, and they give these resources, these reservoirs for making that wise decision. Experience, knowledge, and good judgment. And on the surface, you might say there's absolutely nothing wrong with that particular definition, even as it applies to Christian wisdom. But let me give you a definition of godly wisdom as I've adapted it from Oxford Dictionary here. The soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of God's word, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and experience and judgment forged by engagement with the Holy God. Now, do we see the difference? You know, there's something inside of us that tries to make sense of reality from the voices that we've heard all of our lives, from the culture that we've been formed in by our natural tendencies as we continue to war with this old self, with the flesh, with you know, our, our sinful ways that haven't fully, we haven't fully divorced ourselves of. And sometimes our natural impulses, while maybe the world outside sees it as wise, neglects the things that God has put in place for us to execute godly wisdom, like basing it on his scriptures by being sensitive to the, where the Holy Spirit is leading and by, yes, using good judgment and experience, but all of that chastened by our life and experience as the Lord has worked in our lives. So what are some of the differences between these two? We are prone to human wisdom. 
Godly wisdom, however, is developed over time in conjunction with our sanctification. In fact, you will find that the longer you walk with the Lord, the more the Lord has done in your life in this journey of sanctification, the more your life exhibits this godly wisdom and less of the human wisdom that we're prone to. Human wisdom prioritizes worldly and general knowledge in decision-making. You know, we, you consult these things to make these kinds of decisions. And a lot of times in our world, we compartmentalize things and we make Christian decisions with these things in mind and worldly decision, our finances, our careers, our this or that or the other thing and by the same standards that the world makes. And so human wisdom prioritizes worldly and general knowledge and decision making. Godly wisdom prioritizes truth revealed in God's word regardless of the context in which we're making our decisions. Human wisdom leverages our own perspective, our own cleverness, our own interests in decision-making. Godly wisdom submits to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God, as well as utilizes a chastened experience and judgment that has been informed by our engagement with the Lord. And so in the book of Proverbs, we see a call over and over again throughout the book to godly wisdom and to the warnings of the dangers of human wisdom. And so we're going to see this together as we go through Proverbs, at least some of or half of Proverbs chapter three. Uh, why did I break it in half? Not because the second half does not deal with the same topic, but because I think you wanted to get out of here before 2 p.m. today. So, again, if you have your Bibles with you, join me in Proverbs chapter 3, and we will start in verse 1. Proverbs chapter 3, starting in the first verse, says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Hey, that sounds good. Who doesn't want peace and prosperity and a long life? Hey, that, that's, that's, some of the, that's some of the things that we would desire for ourselves, some of those things that we pray for our children for and our grandchildren for, right? So let's, let's talk about who's writing here and what he's hoping to accomplish in all of this. This is written by King Solomon, and if you know anything about King Solomon, here's some of the facts you probably already know. He was the son of King David. He was a king in Israel, and he came before God and could have asked for any number of things, and instead he asked for wisdom. That's a good thing for a king to ask for, because a king probably and he has, needs more wisdom than your average Job. And God gave him wisdom in abundance. And so here he's writing this book of wisdom, if you will, to his son, or he's using his son as the audience as he's writing to a larger population, who knows, but he's addressing this to my son, he says. And what he says is rather interesting because the words he says, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity are not his words. He plagiarized them. He stole them. They're not his. What do I mean by that? We see that exact same instruction with the exact same promise 
over and over again in the Old Testament. And it is God's instruction and God's promise to Israel. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, we were in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we saw Moses preparing the Israelites for their conquest of Canaan. And he said to them, these words I'm speaking to, keep my commands. Think about them as you rise up and lie down. Put them on the gates and the door frames of your houses. Talk about them as you walk along the road. If you hold on to these things, you will have long life in the land and peace and prosperity. And so I don't think that uh, Solomon is necessarily plagiarizing here. What is he doing? He's doing exactly what we spoke about a few weeks ago. He's executing his responsibility to pass on the Lord's teachings to the next generation. And so he begins with this very instruction that as he is, has received instruction from the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, so now he's passing them on to his son and the same promises apply. Keep these commands because the Lord will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity if you do this. Solomon's instructing his son in the Lord's ways. And this is the heart of wisdom. As we think about living lives of godly wisdom, this is exactly where it starts, with a commitment to God and a commitment to his ways and his will. Obedience to the Lord's commands, allowing God's word to form within us an understanding of the world, to understand a moral framework, to give us a basis for making decisions and for acting in the world as we go, and then we have the responsibility to act in accordance with that worldview, that biblical worldview that's been formed. Human wisdom versus godly wisdom is the tension always. Human wisdom tries to bypass God and seek ways to prolong life and provide one's own blessings. I'm going to say it again. Friends, this is our default position. We are most likely guilty of this in some respect. And this is the overwhelming uh, emphasis of culture. Hear this again. Human wisdom tries to bypass God and seek ways to prolong life and provide one's own blessings. Isn't this what we're taught? Take care of your health. Do this diet. Do this. Do that. I mean, yes, we're to do those things to care for the bodies God's given us. But we do everything in our power to prolong our own lives, often without any reflection of our dependence for our very lives upon God. We do our very best to provide our own blessings, to work hard, to not take anything from anybody, to, to uh, you know, prepare for the future, to give ourselves financial security, to provide for our children, to do these things. And those things are not bad things. But a lot of times we try to create a life for ourselves by our own cleverness, by our own designs, and we don't even recognize the hand of blessing that provides these things for us. Godly wisdom prioritizes God's will and trusts the Lord to provide life and blessings. Human wisdom follows God's laws when it's convenient or effective for securing one's own desires, but abandons God's will, God's law, when their own way seems best to them. Godly wisdom, by contrast, is committed to God's law, regardless of the cost, because God's will is the priority in true wisdom. And every day is full of countless decisions for you and for me. 
uh, where we choose to either employ human wisdom or godly wisdom. In fact, you know, I talked about sanctification the other day in these terms that when you wake up in the morning, pray that the Lord would lead you to cause you to pause, in fact, at those major crossroads in your day where you could choose your way or God's way and that he would give you the capacity to choose God's way over your way. This is wisdom, godly wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Here's the next thing we see in our text, that wisdom prioritizes others. Wisdom prioritizes others. We see this in verse 3 and 4. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Human wisdom prioritizes self. We see this in the way that we're advertised to, right? Uh, To respond to our own desires, to take care of ourselves. You only live once, uh, your way right away. It's all about you. And we respond to that kind of marketing and commercialism because that is the way our minds are formed. Our human wisdom, our human tendencies are to prioritize self. But godly wisdom, like so many other things we see in God, in his economy, prioritizes not self, but others. We see, in the, again, the first part of verse 3, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Love and faithfulness to who? To yourself? No. Love and faithfulness to God and to others. We see that in the very end in verse 4. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. In fact, we see Matthew 22, 34 through 30. uh, This very point as Jesus is emphasizing God's will for us. He says this, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So think about what Jesus is saying. The entirety of the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, the entirety of it, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two things. They could be reduced down to these two bullet points. Love the Lord your God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. And Jesus wasn't the first one to say this. this these, are, these two parts of the great commandment come straight out of the Old Testament. And this has always been God's expectation of his people in the Old Testament times. And now, since the coming of Jesus, uh, wisdom, godly wisdom prioritizes others. Human wisdom loves self uh, and is faithful to self. Godly wisdom loves others and is faithful to others. And it's interesting because God demonstrates this very love and faithfulness that he calls us to. Uh, He's done it. He's shown it in so many different ways, sustaining a world that is an active rebellion against him. Think about this for a second. All of us as Christians can point to the blessings that God has provided for us, right? 
If not, please see me for counseling after. All of us can give you a long list of the ways in which God has blessed us as his children. But here's the thing that people don't often think about. Those outside, the atheists, those who are agnostic, those who believe some other God, those who hate Christians, those who are apathetic toward Christians, all of them, every human person on this earth experiences the love and faithfulness of God through his various provisions that he makes for all of humanity, regardless of what they do with Jesus now. God has demonstrated love and faithfulness in so many different ways, even when people are in rebellion. And even the fact that he sent Jesus to die on the cross and rise again from the dead to secure salvation for who? A rebellious people who were not seeking him. God has demonstrated what he calls us to. Wisdom prioritizes others. Wisdom also trusts the Lord. We see this in verses 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. You know, this is harder than it looks. My, my son just recently told me that it's one of the most important verses for him in scripture and he's memorized it. And because it's something that we don't do very well, but we better do. <laughs> The Bible is full of examples. And we would think maybe the Bible's full of godly wisdom examples. But the truth of the matter is, even some of our biblical heroes have demonstrated instances of human wisdom. Um, and here's just two examples from Abraham. Abraham is afraid that a foreign king will kill him and take his wife, Sarah. And so he lies to the king. And he tells the king that Sarah's a relative. And so Abraham brings disaster on everybody in that instance because he didn't trust God to protect him. Instead, by his own cleverness, he tried to tell a half-truth to avoid difficulty. He's relying on his own wisdom and cleverness. Again, from Abraham's life, him and Sarah were concerned that God's promise of children was just taking a little too long. Maybe it wasn't going to happen. Maybe Abraham and Sarah should just take it on themselves to make it happen. And so Abraham slept with Hagar, uh, Sarah's uh, servant, and it, it turned out a disaster, like you would expect. Not only did it not fulfill God's promise to Abraham, but it brought hardship on Abraham and his descendants, not just in the past, but all of their history since then. And there are many examples, not just in Abraham's life. I maybe piled on him too much, but we see example after example, not just of good godly wisdom in Scripture, but the, the warnings against from the, the examples of others in Scripture as they, as they exemplified human wisdom in seasons instead of godly wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Too often, we try to be clever. We try to trust in ourselves instead of trusting in God and doing what is right. If we submit to him in our ways, trusting that he has it all in hand, then we could keep ourselves from many blunders along the way. Human wisdom prioritizes trust in self. 
Godly wisdom prioritizes trust in God. Wisdom trusts the Lord. Wisdom's also not proud. Wisdom is not proud. We see this as we go on in verse 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. This is part and parcel with what we've just read about trusting the Lord and not trusting in self. Uh, and, And wisdom is not proud. And when you trust in yourself a little too much, pride is present. Here's what Proverbs says a little later on in chapter 16, verse 18 about pride. It says, pride goes before destruction. I don't want destruction. You don't want destruction. But pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Or perhaps in our culture, we hear it simplified this way. Pride comes before the fall. And it does. And we have countless examples in our culture and in history that have proven this to be true. And when we build, we build dependence on ourselves and inevitably we meet situations that we can't handle on our own, right? If you get into a default position of trusting in yourself and you can manage a lot of the things that you encounter in this world to a point until you hit that point where there's something just too big, but you have built a life on trusting in yourself. And so to keep the ship upright, we're tempted to do foolish and or immoral things. In fact, I can't even fathom the number of people who are in prison because because crimes came as a result of desperation that could have been avoided if they had just depended on God versus trying to be clever and fix their own situations. I can't even fathom the number of broken families, ruined friendships, uh, employment terminations, lawsuits, etc., etc., that came as a result of pride, trying to manage, be clever, and figure things out yourself, regardless of the moral lines you have to cross, that eventually led to destruction for people. As we've seen, wisdom trusts the Lord. That means that wisdom does not trust in our own cleverness. Wisdom is not being wise in our own eyes, the text says. Rather, godly wisdom depends upon God. Therefore, godly wisdom trusts the Lord, fears the Lord, obeys the Lord, and does not have an overinflated view of self. This is countercultural, friends. But this is what God says. Wisdom is not proud. Wisdom is thankful. We see this in verses 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Wait, 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 wait. Don't talk about my money. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. You know what the cool thing is here? If we honor God with our wealth, if we give to the Lord, he doesn't take. He takes and continues to bless. Uh, In fact, my son reminded me of the parable of the talents this past week. And, you know, it's funny how God really does operate that way. When we recognize that what we have is from him and we're good stewards of that which he gives us, he tends to give us more because we've proven ourselves trustworthy. We've already seen that wisdom trusts the Lord. It recognizes that God is faithful. And as such, he provides for our needs. We've already seen that wisdom is not proud. It recognizes that we must live dependent on the Lord. 
Wisdom's also thankful, recognizing that all that we have, everything that we have, our house, our cars, our clothes on our back, the money in our bank account, our investments, our retirement account, everything we own, everything we have belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. We are stewards of it. All of it belongs to God. It is from God, and it is for God's glory. We are just called to steward it while on this earth. And honoring the Lord with your wealth means recognizing that your wealth comes from God, regardless of the work that you put in to earn it, uh, or the means you use to save it, or to invest it. Because who gave who gave you the capacity to earn it? God. Who gave you the opportunity to earn it? God. The very fact that he created and sustains a world in which you can earn and save and invest and grow your wealth is all a gift and provision from God. Wisdom honors God with the first fruits, the first of the harvest, the first of the livestock, the first of one's income. So here's some questions. Do we put a compulsory dollar in the offering plate so we don't feel guilty? Do we cross to the other side of the parking lot because we don't want to be asked for money from the homeless person who's sitting there? The real question is, whose money do we think it is? Is it ours or is it God's? It all belongs to him. And godly wisdom would lead us to remember that. In fact, to give him thanks and to live a life of thankfulness and to honor him with what he's entrusted us with. Wisdom, godly wisdom, is thankful. Wisdom sees God in life's trials. Wisdom sees God in the midst of life's trials. All of us have experienced trials of so many different kinds. I know that some of you are enduring trials even now. I know of several health issues that, that people in our congregation are dealing with, among other trials. Wisdom sees God in the midst of them. Here's what we see in verse 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. I want to explore this for a minute because you might be thinking, well, is God punishing me? Is that why I'm going through this? No, not necessarily. And that's not all that we're talking about here. Um, but here's, here's, here's some things I want you to think about. First, this is a sad reality. But many Christians have walked away from their faith because they have experienced trauma in life and were indignant uh, because God did not spare them from it. You may know people in your life right now, who they've gone through hardship. They were a Christian before, they endured hardship, and they walked away from God. And whether they articulated it or not, you know that the reason they probably walked away from God is because God allowed them to go through that. How dare he? Yeah, wisdom sees God in life's trials, not runs away from God in the midst of hardship. Human wisdom blames God for hardships. Godly wisdom seeks God's comfort in the midst of hardships. Comfort that I remind you, God offers freely and at numerous places in scripture has, suggest, has told us that he offers. And for those of us in this room, think about the ways in which God brought comfort in difficult situations in our past. Godly wisdom seeks God's comfort in hardships. 
Human wisdom defends their own righteousness and argues the injustice of hardship to God. How dare you? I don't deserve this. Take this from me. Why would you allow me to go through this? Human wisdom blames God for hardships. Godly wisdom seeks God's comfort in hardships. Godly wisdom trusts God in humility when hardships befall them. You know, there are times when God does bring about or allows us to go through hardships in our life for the purpose of helping us in our sanctification. We're stuck. We're not looking to him. We're not moving forward in the ways he's trying to form us. And a lot of times the hardships that we endure help us to move forward for our own good and for the good of the mission. There are times when God brings about or allows us to go through hardships to develop our character, to develop things within us that could not possibly be developed apart from some of the things that we live through in this life. There are times when God brings about hardships or allows us to go through hardships to prepare us for something in the future, perhaps even something that we don't even know is coming, but God does, and he wants us to be ready so that we're not sunk when it comes, but we are prepared for it when it comes. And that's just some of the reasons why God might bring or allow hardships. Not because he's a mean God that wants us to endure hardships. Not because his heart is not full of compassion for us when we go through hardships. But because in the midst of all of that, there's a good that could come out that can't come out any other way. This is why we read instruction like this in the scriptures. For instance, in James 1, 2 through 4, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops, uh, produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I think that might be the hardest instruction in all of Scripture. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. I have never sat back and been like, yes. Coming through trauma. It's wonderful. Praise the Lord. It's never been my impulse. (laughs) But James has a point. Because we can, in human wisdom, try to cope with it by complaining about it, by blaming God, by any number of stupid things that don't help us or anybody else. Or we can see that God is faithful That he's there with us in our hardship. He loves us in our hardship. He comforts us in our hardship. He'll get us through our hardship. And praise God, I don't know what he's doing, but he's doing something in me. And I will be all the better because of it. I can't tell you what it is, but I know God and I trust him through this. Godly wisdom trusts God in the midst of hardship. Again, God does not allow or bring upon us hardship out of meanness. You know, he's not that kid with the magnifying glass over the ant because it's fun to see what happens. That's not God. Read the scriptures. There's nothing in that from start to finish that depicts God as that. God is love. Rather, his discipline, we see, is like that of a father out of love for his child. Think of our kids. Think of our grandkids. We punish our kids when they do wrong so that they will learn and be better. So they'll grow up to be good men and women. Be prepared to engage well in the world. We bring structure, we bring boundaries, we bring rules, we bring chores, we bring other kinds of discipline into their lives. It's not always pleasant, but we do this because 
These form our children into the men and women that they're going to be in the future. And in his love, God treats us in similar fashion. Wisdom sees God in life's trials. Even if you don't see the why of why God is allowing us to go through it, we see him in the midst of it all the way. You know, I'm just going to read and reflect briefly on our final verses in our section today. Because here's how this chapter is laid out. Practical application of wisdom, this talk of wisdom, and then some more practical application. We're not going to get to that latter half of the section today, but I do want to read verses 13 through 26 for you because I think it's important as we see the, the wisest king in Israel's history um, reflect on the importance of this pursuit of wisdom. He says this, starting in verse 13, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. You know, friends, when Solomon wrote this, it's, the, the culture was no different than it is today in this respect. People go after the wrong things. People go after wealth. They go after safety. They go after security. They go after power. That is the wrong pursuit. Wisdom, godly wisdom is more precious than all of those things. Verse 16, long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. The very things that people pursue, the way to get them, at least in the way that God desires you to have them, in a way that's good for you and good for the mission, good for the glory of God, is to seek his wisdom. Verse 17, her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. Friends, when we, when we grab hold of godly wisdom, we are doing as God would do. God is wisdom. And godly wisdom comes from the Lord. And as we execute godly wisdom, we are doing as God does. Verse 21 my son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Friends, how many times in our lives have we been up at night unable to sleep because of anxiety that has befallen us? You know, and sometimes the anxiety comes from troubles that we brought on ourselves from foolish decisions. But sometimes it's hardships that are outside of our control. And maybe the foolish decision is not to trust the Lord or to lean on our own understanding. And in all these other things, it's not that you did something stupid, brought hardship, and now you're up at night stressing about it. But perhaps in the stress, in the hardship, it's about seeing God in the midst of it and trusting him despite what seems to be on the surface. Friends, if we pursue wisdom, we'll sleep well. Verse 25, have no, sudden, have no fear of sudden disaster of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. Friends, we can be our own worst enemy. Imagine if instead of choosing foolishness, we pursue God's wisdom. How much better our lives will be as a result. 
So friends, there are two paths always before us, whether we perceive of them or not, human wisdom and godly wisdom, and we need to slow down and make sure we're making decisions out of godly wisdom. Our default position, again, is to employ human wisdom. If we act on our own devices, this is where we go. But the more we saturate ourselves in God's word, the more easily it will be for us to live lives that exhibit godly wisdom. The more we listen and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, the more easily it will be for us to live lives that exhibit godly wisdom. And the more we live wisely, the better off we'll be, the better off others will be in our midst, and the more God will be glorified through our lives.